that we can turn to God with whatever's going on in our lives. And today we're concluding the series with Psalm 27, which is a psalm of trust. These are the psalms that express faith, confidence, conviction, fully trusting God, that God is good, loving, trustworthy, powerful, faithful for whatever we need. How can we trust God like that? And especially in these uncertain times with the politics, the finances and the economy, with the health challenges. We've been through a lot these last couple years in the pandemic and making adjustments to all the things that are going on. And we've, most of us, have probably actually learned to trust God and other people less, to isolate, to be suspicious of others, to take control of our own safety and health and comfort. What might God want to say to you today about trust? Psalm 27 is a good word for us today. And as I read it, listen for how God might speak to you in it. What words or phrases resonate for you and express where you are right now? And what words or phrases express where you want to be today? So let's look at Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above, my enemies, above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. You probably noticed that in the middle of the song, there's kind of a shift in tone or emotion. And it almost seems like this is two different psalms put together. But it reflects what's true of us. It shows us the gap between where we want to be and where we are. And in the first half, what we see mostly is the confidence and conviction of David, the author of this psalm, and how fully he trusts God. God is faithful, and David knows it. He has no fear. How do we trust God like that? Remember that David was chosen by God as a boy in the household of Jesse, 
He was chosen to be the next king of Israel, but he waited for a long time. He served in the king's court, and then he was hunted down by the king, who was jealous of him. He hid in caves. He ran and fought for his life. And then when he finally became king, there were mixed things that happened in his life. He was a man after God's own heart, but he suffered failure. He suffered pain. He committed adultery and murder. He lost a baby son. He was suffered disappointment in the rebellious, rebelliousness and wickedness of his sons. And he was a great king, but not a perfect king. And his life was full of victory and joy, but also heartache and pain, anger and rage, fear and desperation. And we've seen all that as we've looked at the Psalms over the last few weeks. We've seen his laments, his petition, his angry imprecatory Psalms, his confession and praise and thanksgiving and joy and victory. And David turned to God in all of it, trusting God for everything. And he grew to trust God fully. And Psalm 27 begins and ends with David's confidence in God. He trusts God because God has repeatedly saved him, rescued him, delivered him. He knows that God is faithful, that God is his strength and his refuge. And he can call God in this psalm the light, his salvation, the stronghold of his life. How can we trust God like that? How can we have that kind of certainty and confidence and security in who God is and what he will do? Psalm 27 shows us two simple but challenging ways that we can grow in trusting God. And they're simple, not complex or hard to understand. But they're challenging because they require a little bit of effort and intentionality. And that's challenging for us. But the first way we grow to trust God fully is to make space for God to work. Trusting God grows as we make space for him to work in us, in prayer and worship, alone and in community. We make space for the Spirit to work in us as we pray, as we worship, whether we're alone at home in our quiet times in solitude or here at church or in small groups with others. And we see all of that in David's life. We see his prayer and worship. He reflects on how great God is and what God's done. He remembers God's faithfulness in the past. And he reflects on God's power and beauty. And that's essentially what prayer and worship are. And we can do that. God, the Holy Spirit, works in us when we do. And it's not hard to grow because God does the work of spiritual growth in us as we make space for him. But that's the challenging part. We all get busy, we get distracted. We feel a little guilty or embarrassed at how much other things crowd out our good intentions to spend more time with God. It requires effort and intentionality. And David talks about this desire in verse four. Verse four says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And that's such a beautiful verse. He asks God for help to seek him. And we can ask God for help too. We can ask God for help to set aside time to pray and to worship, 
to spend time with him. But you might not be very excited about this idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of your life. It doesn't sound so exciting to be at church with God all the days, right? But you don't have to do that, right? David had to go to the house of the Lord to meet God because that's where God was in the temple or the tabernacle or the tent. Before Jesus, the presence of God was in a specific place. But because of Jesus, that's not true for us anymore. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, when you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you become the dwelling place of God. Jesus said that when he left, the Holy Spirit would be with us and in us, and he dwells in us. And we can experience the presence of God wherever we are, anytime, anywhere. You can find safety and security, rest and renewal, joy, worship, wherever you are, as you make a space for him and seek him. Sometimes I babysit my niece's three kids. And her middle kid is a sweet, charming four-year-old named Owen. And during the pandemic, I missed out on getting to know Owen in that formative time. And so when I started babysitting them again about six months ago, Owen was a little scared of me, a little distant, and I had to win him over again. But we're good friends now. And whenever I babysit him, whether the other kids are there or it's just him, he often says to me, Auntie Donna, will you play with me? And so I sit next to him, and I listen to him talk about what he's doing with the Star Wars or his Legos or cars or dinosaurs. He tells me about them, and I talk with him. But he plays differently from my grandkids, so anytime I try to get involved in the play, he kind of looks at me funny because I'm not doing it right. But mostly I just sit next to him, and I listen to him, and I watch him, and I pay attention to him. But that's really boring. My eyelids get heavy, I start to yawn, and I pick up my phone and start to scroll through it. And Owen is very content if I'm just sitting there looking at him. But when he turns around and sees me with my phone, he says again, Auntie Donna, will you play with me? And I've come to realize that what Owen means is, will you be fully present with me? Owen just wants me to put my phone down and sit next to him and be engaged with him. I don't really have to do anything, just sit there and be with him. And this reminds me of what it means to make space for God. And I don't want to imply at all that God is anything like a four-year-old boy. But the paying attention part is what's important. Because just as Owen wants me to put my phone down and just look at him and be with him, God wants us to put other things aside and be fully present with him, be engaged with him. Think about him and what he's doing. And we make space for God when we think about him. We reflect on his goodness and remember what he's done in the past. We thank him and praise him, and we talk to him about the things that are going on in our lives. We listen for his voice and how he might direct us. And when you do all that, the Spirit guides your thoughts, guides your mind and your heart. And when other thoughts come into your mind, Sometimes those are the thoughts God is putting there, the things he wants you to talk to him about. And you pay attention and pray those things. And you listen for his encouragement 
and guidance and help. And for you, it might mean imagining Jesus in the room with you. Kind of that's how I started, practicing the presence of God and imagining Jesus with me. Sometimes that helps us to think about or to imagine what Jesus might be saying to us. But you can be creative and make it work in whatever way works for you. You can make space for God as you're sitting or walking or running or driving or doing chores or whatever you're doing. I don't think it works when you're mountain biking or doing something where you have to pay full attention. But you can be creative. You can make the effort in whatever way works for you. Trusting God grows as we make space for the Spirit to work in us in whatever way works for us. The first half of Psalm 27 is this beautiful, worshipful psalm that's focused on God, showing us what it means to trust God, to praise God, to be with God. It shows us trust, faithfulness, God's love and care. But in the middle of the psalm, the tone changes. And I used to really read only the first half of the psalm and like only that part because the second half becomes less beautiful, kind of needy and grasping. The psalm is interrupted by demands and neediness. Notice that shift from verse 6 to verse 9. Verse 6 says, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. What's happening here? It goes from this glorious confidence in verse 6 to these needy demands in verse 9. What's happening here is real life. Don't your prayers sound like that? You start out, I start out with this gratitude and adoration and praise. And then some distracting thought interrupts our heads and our minds wander. Maybe your mind wanders to that argument you had with your spouse or your kids or that hurtful comment your friend made or that stressful situation you're in. And your mind goes down that rabbit hole of fear and worry and anger. And you start to think about those things and suddenly you realize you're not really praying anymore. You're thinking about something else. And some of you have told me this, that you feel bad or embarrassed or guilty about how distracted you get when you pray and how hard it is for you to focus. You feel bad when your mind wanders from the eloquent prayers you think you're supposed to pray or that list of things you have. And you try to shut it down. And you ask me how to make it stop happening. But Psalm 27 shows us that that's normal. And that's been my experience. And I think for most of you, that's what really happens when we pray. Where I want to be is the first half of Psalm 27. But where I am most of the time is the second half. Needy, grasping, crying out for help for my messy life and my broken relationships and all the stuff that's going on. There is a gap between where I want to be and where I am. And God loves it when we pray in that gap. Kathleen Norris is a poet who left her childhood faith and returned to it as an adult. 
And she says, I have lately realized that what went wrong for me in my Christian upbringing is centered in the belief that one had to be dressed up, both inwardly and outwardly, to meet God. With this insidious notion that I need to be a firm and even cheerful believer. But you come to God's great book of praises, the Psalms, through all of the moods and conditions of life, and while you may feel awful, you sing anyway. And to your surprise, you find that the Psalms do not deny your true feelings, but allow you to reflect on them right in front of God and everyone. The Psalms are holistic in insisting that the mundane and the holy are inextricably linked. And I like that idea that the mundane and the holy are inextricably linked in the Psalms and in our prayers. The mundane is the ordinary, real stuff of our lives. And the holy is that longing for God, that longing for more, that longing to be more and to relate to God more. And there's a gap between our ordinary, mundane needs and that holy longing for God. Our prayers are like 20, Psalm 27, when we're honest and real about that. And trusting God grows as we pray the holy and the mundane, our holy longing for him and our mundane, real needs. And God welcomes all of it. Real trust in the Psalms and in our prayers reflects both the holy and the mundane. And as we grow, we become more puzzled and disturbed by how hard it is to focus and how easily distracted we are when we pray. But that happens because you're growing and bringing your whole self to God and praying all of it, honestly, humbly, the mundane and the holy, inextricably linked. And that's what we see in Psalm 27 and in our experience. When you trust God and make space for the spirit to speak and to lead you, he does. And he guides your thoughts and your prayers. And he brings to mind, brings to the surface, the things you really need to talk to him about. They're often the things you try to ignore. But God wants to help you with your real messy needs, with your broken relationships, and with the fear and worry and anger and stress and anxiety and all the stuff in you. And paying attention to God means we bring all of that. As we become aware that our minds have wandered in prayer, we turn toward God and we ask him, what do you want to say to me about this? Instead of trying to shut it down. Our prayers are a mix of the mundane and the holy. I've told a lot of you about the big event that's coming in my family. And in two weeks, a little over two weeks, my daughter Tracy is going to have her second baby girl. So after next Sunday, I will be gone for several weeks in Atlanta. And I started praying for this baby a year ago. My other two grandkids are 20 months apart, so when Emily, baby number one, turned 20 months, I started praying for the second baby and asking God to bring a second baby into their family. But I also remembered how difficult Emily's birth was and the emergency C-section, and the dangerously high blood pressure and low pulse ox, and the couple days she spent in the ICU, and my worry for Tracy. So even as I prayed that God would give them a second baby, I also told God, if this is dangerous for Tracy's health, don't do it. I understand. And I remember God's goodness 
And I am confident in God's faithfulness and care for her. But that little bit of worry is still there. And there's a part of me that resisted praying about that for a long time. I really didn't want to talk about it today, and I wrestled with this a lot, because I have these thoughts. I don't want to talk about it and give voice to it, because I think if I pray about it, it makes it real. And if I talk about it and tell all these people about it, I might jinx it and make it really happen. I shouldn't say it out loud. I should just hope it goes away. And it sounds really dumb when I say it out loud, but I say it because I think a lot of you think like that too. Denial is attractive. And we do think, if I don't think about it, it'll go away. If I don't pray about it, I don't have to deal with it or face it. Saying it out loud makes it real. And I just want to ignore it. I just want it to go away. And sadly, that just doesn't work. When we ignore it, it never goes away. Usually those fears and worries, anger, hurts, they grow and fester in us and overpower us without us even realizing it. It's talking about it, bringing it into the light, praying about it and bringing it into the light of the spirit. That's what drains it of its power. And when we pray those feelings, they lose much of their power over us because we let the spirit in. We let the light of God's presence into it. And we make space for the spirit to bring new thoughts of who God is, to remember what he's done, to trust that he will do what he says he will do. And he can change our hearts from fear to faith, from worry to trusting God. A few weeks ago, Pastor Brandon talked about the angry, imprecatory psalms. And he said something that I thought was really profound. I thought about it a lot. But he was talking about his mentally unbalanced neighbor and how upset he was and how angry he was about this and how it took him a long time to pray about it. And actually, during the whole time that he was talking about it, I was thinking, didn't you pray about it? And then he said he finally did. But Brandon said that it didn't take long for God to change his heart. What took long was for him to turn from his anger and pride to God to pray about it. And that's so important. That's been my experience, too. It wasn't hard for God to change Brandon's anger into love. It's not hard for God to change my fear into faith. What's challenging is for me, for us, to turn toward God honestly, humbly, to bring all of those things to God and to ask him for help, to listen for his leading. And sometimes his leading is to apologize, to forgive, to do things that we don't really want to do. But if we want the conviction and the confidence and the ability to fully trust God that David has, we need to bring all that stuff to God. What we do is make space for the spirit to work in us. We bring our holy longing and our ordinary mundane needs. And when we do, God grows us. God does the work of spiritual growth in us. We grow in trusting God because God is trustworthy. And we grow to have confidence and courage to trust him, to serve him better, and to make an impact on the people around us in our world. And the Psalms give us a picture of spiritual growth. 
We've looked at the wisdom psalms of creation and Torah and how they help us orient our lives around God to worship and obey him. And then we looked at the psalms of lament and how they help us experience the hardships of life. And then we looked at the praise psalms and the thanksgiving and victory and gratitude we can have because God works. The psalms give us a picture of growth and transformation. And you can probably see that picture in, illustrated in your own life and how God has grown you in little ways or big ways. You worship the God of the wisdom psalms and obey him. And then you experience the failures and setbacks of the lament songs, and you ask God for help. And then you grow in the confidence and victory of the praise songs. And I can see that in my own life. I came to faith as a youth, and I tried to be a responsible, obedient Christian. I tried to do all the things Christians are supposed to do to have a quiet time, to serve God, to be a nice person. And I was often frustrated with how far short I fell how little I actually prayed and read the Bible, how resentful and frustrated and worried and insecure I often felt. And I didn't really grasp that being a Christian meant receiving the grace and unconditional love of God. And it really wasn't until my failing marriage ended in divorce that I really began to grasp what grace was, that God loved me, not because I was good, not because I did the things I was supposed to do. God just loved me. I didn't have to make myself lovable. I already was because of Jesus. And this was an astounding, life-changing discovery for me. And I grew. But God didn't just grow me so that I could feel good about myself and live a peaceful, comfortable life. A few years later, I started going to a women's small group and one day I had this small idea that I should teach Bible studies in this small group. And a couple days later, the leader asked me to teach Bible studies in the small group. And then I was a second grade teacher and I wanted to make more money and I found out I could do it, move up on the salary schedule by getting a master's in anything in my school district. So I enrolled at APU in a master's in theology program. And it was through that small group and through that theology program that God called me to ministry to serve here at CBC. And I'm amazed at what God can do, how he can change us and grow us and move us from one place to another and use us, how he can use me to impact people. And God wants to grow you, to grow you in trusting him, not just so you can feel better and more comfortable, because God wants to use you to impact the lives of the people around you, your family, your neighbors, your workplace, the people you come into contact with. And if you believe in Jesus and consider yourself a follower of Jesus, God wants you to grow in trusting him, in following him, in feeling this love and security and certainty that you can have because God loves you unconditionally. And then to have the courage of that trust to make an impact on your world. And it's not because you have the ability it's because you have a God who is trustworthy, who will empower you and equip you and lead you. And I want to be clear here, I'm not saying you should do what I did or be anything like me because I know my life doesn't look attractive to you at all. God has a unique path for you to use you and your abilities and your interests. Last week, Pastor Eric challenged us 
to trust God in suffering. And that's a part of the Christian life, to suffer and to sacrifice. And Eric shared about his impending mission trip to a kind of dangerous part of the world. And Olivia shared today. And all of that might sound scary and uninviting to you. You might listen to Eric and Olivia and Caitlin a few weeks ago and think, good for you, I'm not going on a mission trip. I'm glad God's speaking to you. But don't you want that kind of faith? To be able to trust God like that? To see how God might use you? And you have to remember that God didn't call Eric to this mission trip out of the blue. It amazes me, and I know a lot of you, as you remember the story Eric told us on Easter, and that God didn't just lead him to this mission trip out of the blue, that first he started called Eric to, to spend more time in prayer and journaling with him. And then God led Pastor Brandon to mountain bikes. That was something new, and to love it so much that he would buy and sell bikes so that he could upgrade his bikes and learn how to flip mountain bikes, and to talk about it so much that Eric and Nick started doing it too. And then God put Eric at that trail with that relentless kid who glommed onto him as his new best friend. And Eric had this idea of giving him the bike in his garage that he was going to make more money off of. And Amber even was okay with it. And then he met the kid's parents, the father, who was a missionary, who led missions classes, went to the missions classes, and only then did God call Eric to this missions trip. Our God is an amazing God. He does the work of spiritual growth in us as we make space for him to work. And as you live your life turned toward God, you will grow in trusting him and in seeing him do amazing things in you and through you and in the people around you. How have you already experienced that in your life? I'm sure many of you have stories. And what could God do in you as you trust him more, as you lean into making space for him to work in you? Make space for the Spirit in your laments and your victories, in your prayer and worship, when you're alone in solitude, making space for him in whatever ways you can, or when you're here at church or in your small groups. Bring your holy longing for God, that desire for more of him, and bring your mundane needs, all those embarrassing things you don't want to think about or talk about. Bring them to God. Make space for him in them, and God will grow you. Trust God for all of it, because he is trustworthy. We're going to close and sing this song, kind of new, called Highlands. We've sung it once before, and it sounds a little like a song. But it gives voice to our deep longing for God in the highlands and in the heartaches. And as you sing this song, don't think too hard about the words and what they mean and how they go together. But listen for how it stirs in you this deep longing for God. What does it stir in you? How is God speaking to you as we worship? Consider how much God loves you, how much he wants to be found by you, to bless you and to bless the people around you. God is worthy of your trust, and you can trust him in the highlands and the heartaches, in the holy and the mundane, in the mountains and the valleys, in the good times and the bad, 
God is trustworthy. Let's pray.